For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Welcome back, everyone. We will now chant the Sutra opening verse. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Good morning, Bodhisattvas, and hello. Many, I, I see many familiar faces and some less familiar faces, but, but good morning. I'm Asian Nancy Easton, uh, one of the teachers at Ancient Dragon, and I mostly want, can everybody hear me? You would have already signaled if you couldn't, I hope. Um, I mostly want to talk today about compassion. Um, compassion has been on my mind a lot over the past year. And I think especially now as we are this week um, hearing a lot about the you know first and the one year anniversary of lockdown in many places and and our the closing of our formal Zendo that took place just about a year ago now. And uh, actually next Sunday is the one year anniversary of our first online broadcast. But I've been hearing and thinking um, on this anniversary about all of the many challenges that we've faced this year on so many levels and also about the hopefulness of times to come. And so, you know, I want, I want, just been thinking about that. I, I, I don't think that any of us could have predicted a year ago all that has come to pass. You know, at that, at the time I, I gave the talk um, on, on, on the last Sunday of March of last year, I remarked on how visible, you know, Dharma teachings were at the, to me at that time, and, and I was encouraging us to reflect on some of the gifts of our practice that might help us cope or to help others cope with what I perceive to be the challenges to coming to us. Um, you know, I, I think we all understood that there was a pandemic and, and that there would be sickness and possibly loss through death, uh, but I don't think that any of us could have really predicted the you know, loss of, first of all, of course, you know, the loss of health, the loss of life, the loss of income, maybe from employment, the loss of freedom. You know, we let go of our physical temple over the past year, um, which, which in many ways feels like a loss. And 
the pandemic also really heightened our collective awareness in the U.S. at least of injustice and racism and issues of inequality that have been so highlighted by, you know, who has been most affected and impacted by some of the losses directly from the pandemic. So, so it's been a challenging year. At the same time, I think there have been some joys. You know, we have this vibrant online sangha with people who might not have been able to join us before because of being in a, in a very distant location. Um, we, we have more weekly online offerings than ever before. And we also can hear teachings from all over. I was able to attend a three-week practice intensive right here in my in my office um, that actually takes place at Green Gulch Farm in January. And that was that was a gift, you know. Um, we maybe now meet, I actually meet more with my family than I ever did before. I've been living um, a thousand miles away from my family for the past 35 years. And now I get to see them every Sunday on Zoom. We do, we get together and, and we and we just talk about whatever. It doesn't have to be a special topic and people can come and go. Um, so, so maybe, maybe these are some, some joys that you've experienced throughout this time. And maybe your joy just comes from appreciating what you, what you do have, what, what we still have, um, you know, and, and hopefully in the midst of this, in the midst of our own personal suffering and our collective suffering and our own personal joy, and maybe sometimes our moments of collective joy, our hearts have been moved to compassion for ourselves when we are suffering and for others when we, when we see them suffering. And, you know, that is, that is a hugely important quality that has grown out of the loss and adversity that we've been experiencing. So today I want to talk about compassion, but I also want to talk about loss and, and how loss and compassion may, may be tied together. And the first thing that occurred to me was one of the very earliest teachings of the Buddha from the Sutta Pitika um, in Pali or the Upajat, Upajatana Sutra from Sanskrit, and it's called the Five Remembrances. And I'll read these for you. The first is, and they may be very familiar to you. I'll read them anyway. The first is, I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. The second is, I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape having ill health. Third is, I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. And the fourth is, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And then the fifth and final remembrance is, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground on which I stand. So the five remembrances, I think, nicely describe some of the causes and conditions of our world. You know, the first three, um, growing old, growing ill, passing away, 
these were states of being witnessed by Siddhartha Gautama before leaving the palace to seek awakening. You know, we, we, will, we will grow ill, we will grow old, we will die. And also, although not directly stated, because of this, you know, the fourth, all those we love will change and we will, we will be separated from them. So what's beautiful about the five remem- remembrances is that faced with these truths, we're given choices about how we respond. You know, do we contract with fear or sadness or revulsion? Well, you know, maybe we do at first. No, nobody wants these things. We don't want them for ourselves and we don't want them for others. But given our ability, given, given their inevitability, can we also open to them with compassion with, for ourselves and for others? And I think that that is one of the challenges of our practice is how do we respond with compassion for the inevitable losses that we will experience and the the injustices and and the suffering that we will experience and how then, you know, responding with compassion, how can we help? So I started thinking about, you know, what is compassion? And of course, I turned to the dictionary. Um, so, you know, because we kind of know, we, we think we know, I guess, maybe what compassion is. But but do we always know? You know, not necessarily. So Web, Merriam-Webster's dictionary says that s- compassion is the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Um, so awareness and, and consciousness of, of others' distress, along with, a, a corresponding desire to alleviate it that arises with our awareness. It, it, I think you probably know that in Latin, it, it comes from the, the Latin word compati or compassio, which means to suffer with, but it means more than just suffering with. It means using our awareness of suffering and our, and our own experiences of suffering and what that feels like to empathize with others and to try to help. So, Compassion, we hear about it all the time in Zen practice and Buddhism, Buddhist practice. But I was really surprised to discover when I started learning, you know, the precepts and the paramitas that compassion is actually not a precept or a paramita. I think it's made up of different, you know, it has components of compassion are different, you know, maybe all the paramitas, I think, including especially maybe patience and generosity and effort and perseverance and compassion. Those qualities are also maybe then, you know, tempered by wisdom and knowledge and skillful means and hopefully some ethics. Um, And compassion, I think, is also, you know, we engage it through our practice of the Bodhisattva precepts, which I won't get into exhaustively, but things like, you know, not killing, not using false speech, not taking what is not given, you know, and so on. So I think that part of why compassion is not defined as a practice has to do with what I believe is, is that, that compassion is Buddha's mind. You know, when we practice the precepts and the paramitas, we are living in accordance with Buddha's mind. 
So, you know, compassion is a quality. It's it's a force in the universe, and it's 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 something that we can tap into, but it's not necessarily something we can grasp. And yet, you know, it's so essential and universal that many different cultures and maybe all cultures have religious, it's, it's, it's pervasive in all, as, as far as I know, it's pervasive in all major religions. I have not, I'm, I'm certainly not a religious scholar, but I did sort of a cursory search and, and, and compassion is a hugely important component of all major religions. And, and so within our Buddhist tradition, we, we actually have figures who personify compassion and some other religions also, I think, have, have figures who personify compassion. I think that, um, you know, within Christianity, which I'm much more familiar with, we may turn to Mother Mary as a source of compassion or, or, or Jesus also, you know, the, the, the heart of Jesus as a source of compassion. But, but Mother Mary, um, I think within the, the Hindu tradition, um, that, that Lord Krishna is, is considered to be what one of the primary qualities is compassion. And so other religions have figures who personify compassion. Within Buddhism, our figure is Avalokiteshvara. That's, that's this Bodhisattva's Sanskrit name. And Avalokiteshvara is the Bodhisattva of compassion. And Avalokiteshvara, Avalokiteshvara appears in different cultures as different forms. So in China, um, this Bodhisattva would be Guan Yin or Quan Yin, the goddess of mercy. In Vietnam, they would be Quan Am. In Korea, they'd be Quan Seum. In Tibet, they would be Chen Rezig. And in Japan, we have Kanon or Kan Zayom, whose name you may have heard in some of our chants, and you will be hearing that, that name um, in the chant that we'll be chanting today. And Kanon's name or Kanzeon's name means regarder of the cries of the world. So I, I think this is an especially evocative image of a bodhisattva who is, you know, out there and they're listening and they're, they're just regarding and hearing the cries of the world and they are finding ways to respond. So I'll get into a little, well, I'll get into a little bit more about how Avalokiteshvara is able to respond to the cries of the world. Um, but I also want to, I want to point out that within different traditions, Avalokiteshvara is portrayed sometimes very, very differently. First of all, they may be portrayed as a male figure or a female figure. And I think that that starting with that one quality, I think that that starts to speak to the ways in which we depict this bodhisattva to demonstrate the universality of compassion. Compassion, first of all, doesn't belong to just one gender. Um, and it doesn't belong to just one physical form because Avalokiteshvara appears as um, many, many different kinds of ways. 
you know, which, which I think highlights the ways that compassion can take any form that may be beneficial to beings. Now, most of, if not all, of the forms of, of Alokiteshvara that I've seen and I'm familiar with are roughly based on human beings. So even though, um, you know, unlike maybe the saints in Christianity, Avalokiteshvara was not an actual historical being. They are the embodiment of, of, of a spirit of compassion. And the classic form is as, you know, just sacred or honorable Avalokiteshvara. There's a, this, this being, this person-like being has a single face and two hands, and they might be holding a lotus or a vase or a wish-fulfilling gem in one hand and maybe a mudra dispelling fear in the other hand. And I have a tiny, tiny figure of Avalokiteshvara as Kuan Yin crossing the ocean, standing on actually a dragon and, and crossing the waves of the ocean. And it's, it's going to be hard to see because it's kind of white on white, but oh, there we go. So you can see that the, the, this Avalokiteshvara is holding a vase of water and has another hand out in a mudra that, that is dispelling fear. So the, this, is, this or this might be a, a mudra dispelling fear with one hand. So that's kind of your, your basic standard Kuan Yin or Avalokiteshvara. Um, and, and Kuan Yin can be pictured in a number of different other ways. There's, um, I have a lovely picture of lotus leaf Kuan Yin, which is a, just sitting on a lotus leaf, very in repose, you know, very um, restful and peaceful. And, um, and so that's, that's another dimension of Avalokiteshvara. We have a version called 11-headed Avalokiteshvara, and this, this version has three tiers of, of three heads, um, which actually I will demonstrate. I'm right now babysitting the Avalokiteshvara from Ancient Dragon. And so you can see that this one has three heads on the bottom, three heads in the middle, three heads on the top tier, topped by a very wrathful looking head, and finally the head of Shakyamuni Buddha. So those are the 11 heads of, Avalokite, of, of this Avalokiteshvara. Now, this one, the heads all look very calm and, and kindly and, and you know, peaceful and, and sort of beatific, but some of the, some, in some versions of this 11-headed Avalokiteshvara, the heads display different figures. So the, the heads in the facing front may look very, you know, kindly and, and they're in repose, but the heads on this side may be sort of, you know, wrathful and, and kind of, you know, fearsome. And then, you know, heads on this side may be sort of scowling or disapproving. And they are then topped by, you know, this additional wrathful head of Avalokiteshvara. So very, something very fierce, you know, there's, and, and then finally by Buddha's head. And what I like about this is that I think this, this, this version of Avalokiteshvara highlights that we don't all wake up the same way. Compassion doesn't always have the same face for every being. Some people will 
respond to kindness and others will not respond as well to kindness as they will to sternness. Um, and, and then others yet will respond to fear, you know, so some, some will respond to disapproval. There are, so this is maybe highlights sort of the skillful nature of compassion and how we may need to change our face in order to be skillful in different situations. You know, when we think of compassion as only being nice, we, we limit compassion, actually, we, and we maybe do injustice to it. And as an example of this, I want to just talk about, you know, if you watch a nature program, um, you will almost always see some scene where some predator is pursuing their prey. And, um, and, and, we, and I, I always find this so hard to watch, you know, part of me wants to turn away and part of me, you know, is just like, okay, this is, this is life. But I always sympathize with the little creature who's trying to get away and they are either, you know, maybe they get caught by the predator or maybe they escape, you know, and, and then I'm happy. But then I always forget that the predator is suffering too. You know, they are, they're hungry, maybe they're starving. If they don't eat something, they're gonna die. So somebody's gonna die, you know? So, so what does that mean? Does that mean there's, there's only compassion for one of these, you know, and then which one? So I think that this, this kind of, you know, highlights that, um, you know, we might need to expand our, our understanding of compassion so that we can encompass the whole life cycle, so that we can encompass both the predator and the prey. You know, where, how do we, well, it's not us. You know, I, I guess I, I was going to say, how do, we, how do we find compassion for both? But the, the point is that compassion is not us. Compassion is bigger than us. Compassion is more beyond our understanding and it does envelop the whole world. And, and so part of our practice is to become um, more, more awake to that, more aware, more awake to that and, and to learn to, you know, how do we become more skillful with our compassion? So finally, the, the last version of Avalokiteshvara that I wanna talk about is also depicted in the same uh, sculpture that I just showed you. This is um, the thousand-armed Avalokiteshvara, and it's a, a, a human figure who's depicted with many arms. You know, not not I. I don't. I've never seen one that's a thousand. This one has, I think, forty-six, and um, each arm, you know, radiates off of Avalokiteshvara's body. Um, Sometimes they were, they'll be holding different tools. So let me bring up, bring this figure back. So you can see all the different arms coming off of Avalokiteshvara and all of the different tools that this one is holding. This one has his hand out in a, in a, in a mudra, but he or she is also holding, I think this is a Vajra or a thunderbolt and a mala. Um, I believe this is a, a jar of medicine. Um, this is a lotus flower symbolizing practice. I cannot figure out what this is, um, but I've decided actually that it's a phone. 
which probably isn't true, but um, but I like the idea that you know a Valakitejvara is just a phone call away. So so these tools, and then finally, oh, a Valakitejvara is holding a wish fulfilling gem in their gasho. So you can see that that this one has lots of different tools. You maybe can or cannot see that on each hand of this Avalokiteshvara, there's a little eye. And you'll have to see it when we're, when we're all back in person sometime, you will have to see this Avalokiteshvara um, because it's truly wonderful. It's my, one, of my, one of my very favorite um, figures. But Avalokiteshvara actually contains an eye on each palm. And what that highlights is just the awareness that's present in every action, that, that every hand that's reaching out with to help has an eye to be, to be able to perceive what's needed and to be able to offer it. So, um, so this Avalokiteshvara, maybe similar to the 11 heads, you know, can skillfully meet the demands of each situation and the needs of each being. And I think that's so wonderful. Another thing that I think is really wonderful is that Avalokiteshvara, we try to portray this bodhisattva in a human-like form, but no actual human looks like this, you know, at least not at any one moment. Nobody has all these hands and all these eyes and all these tools and abilities and these faces. Um, And I think that that really demonstrates that Compassion exceeds the limitations of our of us as beings, even though we try to act as agents of compassion. Um, now, it may be that this figure is that this this depiction of Avalokiteshvara is really a four dimensional figure. That that at any one time we might have the skill to do one thing. But we don't do a thousand, you know. But we, but we might do a thousand over the course of our of our lifetimes. So this may be a maybe a four dimensional Avalokiteshvara. It may be a five dimensional. I think, um, and I like this idea because I it helps me accept that compassion is not something that I can ever fully grasp as a limited human being. So, so that's so that's helpful. You know, it's it's vast and it transcends our understanding. So, you know, how does this relate to us? I want to I want to talk a little bit about our own practice of compassion. You know, I've, I've kind of talked about compassion in the universe and I've talked a little bit about human beings as its agents. I also want to talk for a moment about the chant that we're going to be chanting today. We're going to be chanting um, the Universal Gateway of Kanzeon Bodhisattva, which is chapter 25 from the Lotus Sutra. And this chapter, this chant is going to highlight all kinds of situations in which living beings are in peril and they are suffering and by mindfully remembering the presence of Avalokiteshvara as, as Kanzayon Bodhisattva, their suffering will ease. 
um, you know, you might be um, freed from from courts or or you know saved from you know peril at the hands of wild beasts. And it's it's sounds a little bit magical, and and that's okay. I don't think that I don't think I don't I think that. Um, the presence of compassion doesn't mean that we won't grow ill or old or pass away. It doesn't mean that we won't experience suffering or fear. Um, it doesn't take that away. Um, but 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 I but the presence of compassion means that we can be heard. We can find some comfort within our suffering, within. Um, we can w continue to work to change, try to change situations and try to help things move forward, but we don't have complete control over that and that's okay. We can, we can mindfully invoke the power of compassion and that situation may be transformed somehow. We may, we may the situations in our lives are, are not usually, you know, ones where we're being pursued by wild beasts, but, but we have all kinds of fearful, distressing situations. And by mindfully remembering and connecting ourselves with the force of compassion, sometimes that does transform a situation for us. And, and that I think is the point of this chant. Um, the, the line that, that most appeals to me is um, Kanzayan, whose, whose pure regard, far-reaching wise regard is ever longed for, ever revered. We, we know what that feels like, to want someone to hear us. And we can bring that feeling to someone else who might be suffering. And in that way, we can be compassion. We can, we can embody compassion, even if we don't know exactly what to do. We can, we can listen to the cries as they inform us of, you know, what might be a more skillful thing to do. And we can have compassion for ourselves in our not knowing what to do. Because, you know, be, because, because we don't decide what compassion is. Compassion exists as a quality and we can experience it. We can act on it. And that participation is important. There's one, we, we need to find a way to actualize compassion. Otherwise, you know, it just exists in the stratosphere. It doesn't, it doesn't come down to earth and, and, and become real in our lives. There's a, there's a passage from Dogen's Genjo Koan that I especially like that I think highlights this and I'll read it for you. It goes, uh, Zen master Bausha of Mount Mayu was fanning himself. A monk approached and said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent and there is no place it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? And Boucher replies, Although you understand that the nature of the wind is permanent, Boucher replied, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. What is the meaning of its reaching everywhere? asked the monk again. The master just kept fanning himself and the monk bowed deeply. So, 
that passage really was, was talking about um, the actualization of the Buddha Dharma. The vital path of its correct transmission is like this. If you say that you do not need to fan yourself because the nature of wind is permanent and you can have wind without fanning, you will understand neither permanence nor the nature of wind. I think compassion is like that too, that compassion pervades everywhere, but we also need to fan ourselves and maybe fan each other if, if for this situation. So, so, you know, even though we try to practice compassion, we will fall short, but we still need to practice our limited compassion and our limited with our limited capacities in order to keep compassion alive. You know, practice, it does include our actions, but it surpasses our efforts. So I don't have any easy answers for how to practice compassion. We can, um, we can begin to practice compassion by practicing the paramitas, practicing patience, practicing generosity, practicing perseverance and effort. Um, we can practice the precepts. We really need to continually study our motives, you know, study the results of our actions in order to become skillful with compassion. I do have, I do have good news though, which is that I think, I think sometimes, you know, what, what limits our ability to practice compassion has, I think, mostly to do with our limited views and our and our our just human tendency to focus on what we want, what we think, what we feel like, you know, and as we practice, you know, in even in, in one zazen period, every time we bring our minds back to being present, we we pull ourselves away from you know, that, that tantalizing and juicy thought that you just thought that you really want to hold on to, or, you know, that thing that you want to do later, or that thing that just happened, and you just come back and bring yourself back to the present. We're actually strengthening our ability to let go of our, you know, limited views and our selfish concerns and open up for whatever's next, open up for, you know, we don't know. We, we have to practice that over and over and over again and it, it, it does loosen up our tendency to um, think that what we think is everything. You know, we, 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 we let go of what we think and we just stay open to maybe something new happening. So all of these things will help us to become more skillful with our compassion. So I think that's maybe all I really wanted to say. I, um, I'm so happy to see everybody today. And I thought maybe we could have just a little bit of dialogue about, you know, how has, how might your understanding of compassion grown over this challenging year? Or, or anything else that people feel like sharing today? And I think um, if you raise, I, I'll put out the parameters, um, which are if you raise your hand in the participants box, um, then the host or I can call on you. So please do. 
I see Rona. Hello. Hi, Thank Rona. you, Jen. Wonderful to see you, Rona. You too. Hi, everybody. Um, I think that um, what the first thing that comes up is uh, that I have more compassion for myself because a lot of uh, this last year, like a lot of emotions came out just being uh, in lockdown and not being able to see friends and family and all the things you said at the beginning, beginning like work-wise and money-wise and everything. So a lot of things just just came came up, and I had to uh, just let them be. And it's very difficult to be compassionate to yourself because you don't know the the um, the limit. Like when are you um, just being loving and compassionate to yourself, and when are you being just miserable? And you know, like when do you stop? And where do you stop? So that that's mainly, I think. <laughs> that is so important. Thank you for highlighting self-compassion, Rana. Um, I don't I don't know where we stop, but I know that many of us have an experience of treating ourselves, you know, when we're suffering from something kind of harshly, you know, like. Like, I know that I can say in the back of my mind, you know, when I, if I'm suffering because of something I did, you know, did or did wrong, I can just be like, well, you should have known better. You shouldn't have done that, you know, and, and so, so harsh, you know, or you deserve that. Um, many of us can say these, these things to ourselves. And while that might have been a way that we, learned in the past um or you know that might be how we learn from situations it's so harsh and and hopefully we wouldn't speak to another being that way hopefully we might find a skillful way to work with ourselves and i think that that's i think that that's what you're talking about is how do i find a skillful way to be compassionate with myself, but also help. Um, when does that, um, you know, saying, oh, you know, it's not so bad, it's not your fault, you know, you poor thing. When does that um, actually stop being helpful? Because I, because th I think that's what you're saying is that at some point, we do have to kind of find a way to pick ourselves up and and address something. And maybe that point is only something that you yourself can determine, you know, that, that no one else can say exactly when, when you need to pick yourself up. They may have opinions about that. Um, sometimes their opinions are right and sometimes they're wrong. Yeah, it's like when uh, somebody dies and you have like a funeral and uh, for for the for us for the Jews we have uh, Shiva which is seven days, and then we have thirty days something and and then a year, so it's like someone decided how to grieve, you know, it's like for us, mm -hmm. but but we we're the only ones that know uh, and and decide for us how long I need to grieve. You know, so it's the same with all kinds of 
feelings, I think. Yeah, nobody can really say um, because they don't they don't know how that person's life was interwoven with yours. You know, that I I have a friend whose husband was killed by gun violence suddenly, um, leaving with her with with small children, and nobody nobody can. This person, you know, can can sometimes feel judgmental when other people say, "Oh, come on, you know, you need to move forward. You need to be positive," and um, nobody can say what moving forward is for for anyone. You know, we we maybe move forward at times, and then we we maybe um, I hate to use the word the, the phrase slide back, but but grief is not a linear process, and and maybe compassion isn't either. Maybe maybe no kind of change is actually a linear process. But we, especially with grief, you know, the closer we are to someone, the more they really are part of us. And we, we, we can't even begin to understand how we would untangle the, the life of that person from ourselves in order to move forward. So, you know, we move forward and then we, and then we grieve. So maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's all moving forward. But but that is that is a hard one, and and I think for many people it helps to have somebody to talk to, about about that somebody who can help you bring compassion to yourself, but also temper it with with wisdom, um, with effort. So thanks thanks for that reminder. I think um, Eve's hand was up next. Hi. I had questions about self-compassion too because um, I think it's really hard and it's been hard this past year. And I read um, this article on box.com about, you know, Americans and work and what's happened in the pandemic is just, it's just exacerbated the fact like we've chosen work over life and work over health. And we force people to work, um, you know, like the people that deliver our food, and and um, and then those of us, you know, that are working remotely. I, I mean, you know, work is. I mean, it, they said we've literally taken work to bed with us, um, and I'm sitting here on my bed staring at my laptop. So yeah, um, and 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 then there are no hours of the day now we're not working and. And it's not good, and um, and so I and and I appreciated you saying that you know there's a stern face of compassion because I think you know sometimes like you have to tell ourselves it's okay to go outside <laughs> you know but but and you have to go outside sometimes but um, and the article also said it's like they've used the you know the people that are putting every profits at the center of everything um or they've used our sense of compassion against us like they said well you know like your boss says to you you don't want to let down your teammates and your co-workers and and that's true i and um so so i think i guess i'm wondering also how to step back and try to think about how do we build compassion into our society and and if any and the pandemic's highlighted anything, it's highlighted the need for that. Well, 
that's 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 important, you know. And I I'm I tend to be very hesitant to bring the stern face of compassion. Um, I think, you know, with myself, I might try things like, you know, come on, let's see if you can do this. You know, I know, I know it's hard, but let's give it a try. Um, you know, like, like I might do with a, with a little kid or with, with, you know, trying to train a, a puppy. Um, and yet, you know, that's, that's maybe my limitation and maybe human limitations. Cause I loved how you're highlighting that we can be actually manipulated, um, maybe not, maybe through our compassion or, or maybe through something else. Um, and I don't, I don't have any clear cut, easy answers about how we bring more compassion or cultivate more compassion. Maybe compassion really is there. And as we pay attention to what's out of balance and try to bring it back into balance, maybe, maybe that's part of how we engage compassion in these situations. But, but thanks, Eve. And, well, and maybe we, yeah, we all need to be Avalokiteshvara together. It's going to take all of us and all our hands to bring ourselves back into balance. Yeah, that's a great point that, that no one, no one of us, a great reminder that no one of us is the arbiter of compassion, that we, we actually need all voices so that we aren't missing something. And, and perhaps as we get more skillful with being inclusive, that will help us to become more compassionate. And, and there's always, um, you know, paying attention to who and what has been left out as, as a way of, of informing our, our compassion. So our compassion maybe needs to grow in dimensions, you know, to see what, what it can encompass. Can we respond to? Um, can we respond even to others' unskillful or evil actions in a compassionate way that helps them to recognize that and recognize and change? Um, I want to. I want to go in order, and I think. Um, Paul, I see your hand. I think David had his hand. David Weiner had his hand up. And I can't, I can't lower anyone's hand. <laughs> so. uh, uh, thank you very much for your talk. And first of all, I'm going to send you a picture of the thousand hand handed because uh, <laughs> I have on, you might not be able to see it, but on my wall, I have a Tibetan Tonka of Avalokita Shabara with all thousand hands. And wow. Wow. I'll, I'll send that photo to you. Thank you. Share later. Uh, I have two thoughts that I'd like to say, and then I also want to get a third, which is I want to get your comment on. Um, having, you know, working in chaplaincy uh, or studying to be a chaplain as I am, one thing about grief that, which uh, Rona mentioned a little bit, um, no one has ever had the same conversation with that person as the person who was grieving. No one had those private moments that, was there between them so it's almost like there's no way to say there's a right way to grieve because no one ever had that same individual experience and so that's part of compassion is being able to allow that person to grieve the way they are grieving and to say oh you have to move on you have to get over it and all that they 
I, as an outsider, haven't had that experience. So the thing is, how can I be there? And which goes back to what um, Joan Halifax from Upaya says, is, you know, come and bear witness just to be there and bear witness with somebody. It's just so much part of, of what compassion is. Um, not trying to fix anything, not trying to, you know, no agenda, as she says, no agenda. Just be there, be in her presence. And that is, you know, a base form of compassion. And the thing I'd like to ask you and get your comment, comment, comment on <laughs> is, is the difference between compassion and pity. Because sometimes we pity people and how that is really different maybe from compassion. And I'd like to get your views on that. Well, um, you know, I think pity differs from compassion in that pity has implications, I guess, that somebody else is down there and we're up here and we are untouched by their suffering and we feel bad for them, but, you know, that's them. Um, and compassion is much, a much closer feeling. We're, we're there. We're, we're maybe not there in this moment, um, but we know what it feels like. You know, we, we may not know exactly what it feels like, but we know what it feels like. To hurt. And, and so with pity, we're often a little bit walled off from our own feeling of, of sympathy and empathy and what it feels like to hurt. Um, but with compassion, we're right there. We're, we're holding hands from, you know, across an aisle. Does that kind of resonate with what you think too? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's pity is, you know, it's, there's a hierarchy, you know, um, it's not, I'm not, you know, I feel sorry for you, but I'm up here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. compassion is more being with, yeah. but, you know, and, and that's what I wanted to hear, you know, what, what you thought of that. Sure. No, I, I agree with you. And thanks also for highlighting the importance of listening. We sometimes feel like when we're listening to others, like we're not really doing anything, but it's a lot. It's a lot to, because, because some often people are not able to do that. You know, the, we maybe talk to someone about what's what's going on and what they say is, you know, you think that's bad. Listen to what happened to me. Um, but but when we can talk to someone who's really listening. It just it, it just feels like a burden is is released off of our shoulders and, and we know it when we feel it. And, and I think that's how we know that others are. Really listening. So thanks, David. Thank you. I think I saw Brian's hand next. Um, yes, I have a, a question um, for you, Asian. Um, Kanzion represents the compassion between people, but in Buddhism, does Kanzion also give compassion directly to devotees? And if if you if you say yes, how, what's that like, or how how? I think that's what is implied in the Universal Gateway. Is that by mindfully invoking the the, the power of Kanzayon, 
one will experience compassion. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm not sure that there is a one way that that looks like. Um, that I, I think it's just in the asking that we receive it. Um, if that, does that make sense? Um, yes, it does. Um, it reminds me of a line, I, I think it was from Katagiri, something about the, um, in the, in the, what, what we seek and the, and the seeking become one, the seeker and the, and what is sought become one in the seeking, if that makes sense. Okay. That's, something like that. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Um, I don't know if that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Um, that's okay. But, you know, the, the really the, the idea is that just by remembering the power of compassion, we're, we're transformed, even, in a, even, even if it's just in a very small way, to, um, in a way that could, can be empowering. You know, when we, when we remember that that person who's yelling at us, um, you know, when we, when, say we're in a situation where somebody's yelling at us, when we can pause for a moment, remember compassion, remember that we want to have compassion for ourselves, that can, that can really cha- transform an interaction in, in ways that we don't anticipate. You know, and we might then be able to respond and say, you know, find the, find the presence of mind to say, hey, you know, you sound really upset. Tell me what's wrong. And that, that can transform that whole interaction. And that's and that's because of our mindfully remembering the power of compassion. You know, just thinking how do I, how where's compassion here? What's you know what's going on here? What, how do, where's what about compassion for me? So so I think it it can that's one, that's just one example. I think it can look all different kinds of ways. I think I saw Paul's hand next. Thanks, Brian. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, I'd like to talk to David's point, which I think is is very important here, in that compassion is a very tricky word because it has a sort of a broad a broad meaning. Uh, I like to use the word empathy more than compassion because it's so easy to fall into the into a dualistic understanding of of us and them. Uh, if you're thinking of and, and pity. Pity was, can, can slide in there. Anyway, it's a separation between between the, the the two parties is very easy to 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 uh, be understood. And I think Kuan Yin hears the cries of the world. Kuan Yin doesn't fix the cries of the world. So it's we we can have our little happy, peaceful place in the world. And just stay there and not hear with hear the suffering of the world around us, or we can hear, or we can open ourselves to hear the cries of the world, um, and not feel ourselves separate from it. So it's it's the temptation for dualism that I think we have to be careful of, um, uh, rather than um, some sense of, of fixing of fixing the world or taking responsibility, even taking responsibility for the world. 
are, are we're, we're we're there to be to be one with the world and, and to feel empathy with with the world. Thanks for that reminder. I do like the word empathy, and um, part of part of compassion includes compassion for ourselves. You know that we that we are we're part of a situation. We're not separate from the situation. It's important to have empathy for others, but also empathy for ourselves. So thanks for that great reminder. Um, Patrick, I think I saw your hand next. Thank you so much for your talk, Asian. Um, I've um, uh, been thinking a lot about compassion too. So I, I appreciate, I really appreciate um, your talk this morning. And one um, struggle I have with compassion is it um, seems so serious um, for me that I need to be compassionate to these people or to other people or myself, and I need to do it skillfully and with wisdom. And um, I've heard this a couple times from some speakers, um, but the idea of imagination being associated with it. Um, and for me, that sort of lightens it up. Um, and it really resonated with your statement about um, describing the chant we're going to do later and that it sounds a little magical. Um, and I feel like um, that goes, that for me, that coincides with this idea of having this active imagination um, whether it's putting myself in a certain situation or, or thinking about others, or um, I find one of the most interesting places to, to sort of practice this is um, at the grocery store after work or in like the late afternoon. So where <laughs> I've had like a long day at work, I don't have any groceries. I need to make, get home and make dinner. Um, and there's a long line and people will have big grocery, uh, uh, carts and everything. And, and then I have to start thinking about, well, you know, maybe they're having a dinner party tonight and, and they're gonna, you know, soon be making this great meal and sharing laughs with friends or making a meal to bring to a relative or a neighbor. And then it opens it up, it, it eases it, rather than trying to like narrowly say, I'm going to be compassionate. Um, I, I've found it helpful to take a different tangential approach and, and make it magical on some level. So thank you. That's really nice. That's, I, I like that. You know, as you were talking, I was remembering, I can't remember who the two um, monks in this dialogue are, but um, there is a story about this where one monk asks the other, why does the Bodhisattva of compassion have so many hands and eyes? And his friend Dharma Brothers says to him, it's like reaching behind you in the night for a pillow. So compassion can have a very spontaneous form. You know, when, you, when you're reaching behind yourself in the night for a pillow, you're, you're like barely awake, you know? And but but some part of you knows how to be skillful. And that 
part of you, I think is a part that can develop through practice, but it doesn't have to, you don't have to belabor it, you know, every, every moment, like, like you're saying, you know, you can, you can, um, you can get through the line with like some, you know, humor and, and, and grace and dignity and, and still get through the line and, um, you know, and, and with everybody else that's in that, in that same boat. Um, I, and, and probably you do, you know, probably, um, part of practicing compassion consciously means that you are more likely to behave compassionately when you're not being conscious of it, you know, and, and so you're not like, mm-hmm. you're probably not elbowing everybody out of the way so that you can get to like the front of the line, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so there's some compassion. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, but I like I like what you're saying about imagination too. That you just you know let's 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 just be be imaginative with it. Be be playful with it. Be creative with it. Um, maybe maybe you'll come up with some new way to be compassionate that you hadn't thought of before or that no one has thought of before. You know maybe you'll invent a grocery delivery business or something. I don't know. <laughs> Those are very compassionate. Compassion in action can take lots of forms. So thank you. Um, I think I, and so David, David Ray. Thank you, Asian, so much for your talk. And I love hearing about uh, Avalokiteshvara, Kuan Yin. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about how beautiful it is that, that we have this personification of compassion and this, also this figure that, that, that anybody can turn to in, in times of need and loss and, and the realization that everybody needs compassion. So when I was teaching in China, my students said to me, oh, yes, as an American, you admire Buddhism, but we have, we have, no, we have no use for Buddhism. Buddhism is just simply people go to temple when, like, if a woman wants to have a baby or somebody wants to pass an exam, then you can see them praying in the temple. And I saw that when I went to the temple and, it, and the more that I, I saw it, I was like, well, yeah, actually, yes, actually, yes. Um, that every, every life has a time when I just want to say, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, please help me, please help me, either because of loss or because there's something that I feel that I need. And, you know, so I spent the first half of 2020 praying to Kwan Yin Avalokiteshvara, oh, please bring my wife back, uh, which, you know, and the answer was no, and that was the right answer. But having that, having that personification and, and having that relation, that, was, that was, it felt a lot like the devotion to the Virgin Mary growing up. For a lot of people, those are, those are linked. And um, it's like, Buddhism is so skillful. We, we really, uh, as a human being, I need this personification of compassion that I can turn to because I need compassion. And, and remembering that I need compassion is the thing that helps me be compassionate to other people. Thanks. You know, a, a great Bodhisattva once said, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. And uh, yeah, we, we overlook maybe, maybe that's just the human tendency to overlook the forms of compassion that we grew up with, that we um, maybe, you know, the Maybe the maybe the living beings who personified some of those forms of compassion turned out to have feet of clay, or um, you know we felt like oh there must be something more. But but really 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 I think compassion is present in every culture in every religion. 
it's it's just such a universal need and wish and um and so you know whatever forms we can find i think are are really important um whatever whatever culture we're in and for you know for those of us who maybe don't resonate with the culture that we were raised in we can we can find compassion in other figures and and make that part of ourselves you know we can we can pray to all the compassionate figures but thank you it's we we do in time in in everyone's life there will be times of loss and um and the need to find compassion for ourselves and to give and receive it with others and to even have an awareness that there are forces and and maybe beings that are outside of our awareness or bigger than our awareness that are present in the universe. Even when we are surrounded by what appear to be totally uncompassionate figures, there's still that presence of compassion that we can we can find as long as we remember it. And and when we remember it, then we can be it somehow. So thanks for that reminder. And thank you everybody for um, just highlighting all the different dimensions of compassion and, and how compassion works in our world. Anybody have a last burning thought or comment before we move on? David Weiner. Yeah, if I may, it's interesting because hearing hearing David Ray speak um, and, and studying at Loyola, <laughs> which is a Catholic university um, for my master's, um, what really came up for me in saying with Mary was uh, the sense of communion, that in a certain sense, compassion is really communion as well. It means being one with the other. And that's something to be one with somebody. And which is, I think, in a certain way, maybe the essence of our practice is that we are one with the world. We are one with everybody in the world. And that the one way maybe to look at compassion in a sense is to be in communion. And usually in, in, in Catholic church, you know, you see it as being communion when you go and you take the sacrament, but it's always, it's beyond that. It's every day, every moment, 24 hours a day. It's being in communion. I like, I, I never thought about the word union as being part of communion, but it is, you're right. It's with, with one and, and, uh, I, I always think of atonement, you know, which is at one but uh, not so much communion. Yeah. So thank you. That it, it, and it doesn't always feel like we're one. You know, we can we can feel very much like we are not one. But but that's a, a these are things that we need to remember. Um, Christopher. Yeah. Thank you, Asian. Uh, I think just one thing I want to say is there's another part of communion and it's keeping calm channels open. Uh, I think another big part of compassion is just communication. The idea with pity is I don't want to communicate with you and your suffering. Mm. So um, I guess for anyone who does feel like they're struggling with compassion, it's about talking to people. It's about looking for resources where you don't feel like there are, there is if you feel like there's a gap, that means there are ways to bridge it. So I would just 
And if you feel numbness, then it's paying attention to that and almost speaking with it. So thank you. Well, you know, thank you for the word communication. I'm, I'm getting like my my etymology diction, my etymology lesson today. But yeah, communication is a way to bring us together at one, um, ideally, and and not split us apart. But but yeah, when you feel like you're not at, not at one, look for for where that is. Communicate. Find find a way to bridge whatever gap appears to be there for you. Thank you. So I think we are moving into the, uh, is it service before announcements? I think it's service before announcements. So, um, so let's, 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 um, let's have our service. And uh, maybe for some of you, this will be a brand new introduction to a wonderful chant, which um, maybe I'll talk about in more detail in a future talk, but uh, let it roll. Okay, Asian has built up a lot of suspension, so let's actually do it. Uh, all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Universal Gateway of Kenziyong Bodhisattva. Listen to the deeds of Kenziyong, regarder of the world sounds. Aptly responding every quarter, who with immense vow deep as oceans, throughout kalpas beyond reckoning, has served many billions of Buddhas, bringing forth this great pure vow, hearing the name or seeing the form of Kenziyong, with mindful remembrance is not vain, for thus can be erased the woes of existence. Even if someone with harmful intent should push you into a great fiery pit by mindfully invoking Kanzion's power, the pit of fire will turn into a pond. If floating on a vast sea, menaced by dragons, fish, or demons, by mindfully invoking Kanzion's power, the billowing waves cannot drown you. If from Mount Sumeru, lofty peak, someone were to hurl you down by mindfully invoking Kanzion's power, like the sun you would hang in the sky. If pursued by evil men, down from a diamond mountain, by mindfully invoking Kanzion's power, they could not harm a single hair. 
if surrounded by vicious bandits, each wielding a sword, set for assault, assault by mindfully invoking Kenzion's power, at once their hearts will be turned to compassion. If subject to persecution from dictators, you face torture and an execution by mindfully invoking Kenzion's power, their weapons will thereby shatter to pieces. If imprisoned in shackles and chains, hands and feet bound in restraints, by mindfully invoking Kanzion's power, suddenly you shall be released. If by curses or poisonous herbs, someone wishes to hurt your body, by mindfully invoking Kanzion's power, the harm will rebound to its initiator. If you meet evil goblins, poison dragons, or various demons, by mindfully invoking Kenzion's power, none will dare do harm. If surrounded by raging beasts with sharp fangs and dreadful claws, by mindfully invoking Kenzion's power, they will quickly scatter in all directions. If venomous snakes or scorpions threaten with nauseous flaming breath, by mindfully invoking Kenzion's power, Upon hearing your voice, they will turn and depart. If clouds thunder and lightning strikes, when hailstones fall and it rains in torrents, by mindfully invoking Kanzion's power, instantly they will dissipate. When living beings suffer hardship, burdened by immeasurable woes, the power of Kanzion's wondrous wisdom can relieve the suffering of the world. Fully endowed with miraculous powers, widely practicing wisdom and skillful means in every land and all directions. In no realm can be not appear. In all the various destinies of all beings, hungry ghosts and animals, the suffering of birth, old age, sickness, and death. All are gradually erased by Kanzion, whose true regard, serene regard, far-reaching wise regard, and compassion and kindness is ever longed for ever revered. Unblemished, serene radiance, benevolent sun, dispelling all gloom. Kanzion can subdue the wind and fire of woes. Clearly illuminating all the world, the precepts of compassion roar like thunder. The kind heart is wondrous as great clouds, pouring dharma rain of sweet dew, quenching all flames of compassion. When accused by lawyers, or terrified by soldiers in combat, invoking Kanzion's power, all hostilities will be dispersed. The wondrous voice of Kanzion, sounds of the surpasses all sounds within the world. Therefore, ever keep it in mind in each thought, never doubt. Kenzion, sage, pain, agony, or death, distress, can provide sure support. Fully endowed with all virtues, eyes of compassion, behold all beings. Assembling a boundless ocean of happiness, bow in prostration.
May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the universal gateway of Kanzian Bodhisattva. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Mahaprajapati. Our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shamnu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. Us, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, mahaprajna paramita.